0: Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of The Walk. I'm Father Roderick, walking around here uh, next to the street in front of the rectory on a nice autumn morning. The sun is still shining, although there are some clouds coming from the, the southwest. So I think that uh, the rest of the afternoon is probably going to be a little bit more gray But this morning I woke up to blue skies And I always love it when the sun shines through the windows When it's still kind of low at the horizon And then you're sitting there in your pajamas Drinking a cup of coffee In the sunlight, I love that It's these these quiet mornings that I treasure so much Especially after having been extremely busy yesterday I went to... Probably the furthest place that I've ever been in the Netherlands to to film. This was near the Belgian border, completely in the southwestern part of the Netherlands. So if you look at the map of the Netherlands, it's this weird, strange shape, mostly influenced by the water, because, of course, part of the Netherlands has been fought back from the sea. Oh, i got to slow down a little bit because I'm getting out of breath. I still have to... Get used to the fact that I that I'm not as fit as I used to be. So when I talk and I walk, I sometimes forget that uh, I have to slow down because I I can feel my heartbeat going up. Uh, I'll get back to my health situation uh, <laughs> in a little while. But yesterday I was fit enough to uh, to go film in um, what they call Zeus Vlanderen. So Fla- Vlanderen is from Flanders, so it's a uh, the dutch-speaking part of of belgium and uh zeeland zeos is from zeeland and of course you know new zealand well actually that was named after this uh southwestern region of the netherlands which basically consists of uh, a coastal area with a few big islands uh, that are in- interconnected through tunnels and and bridges and then uh a, the, the lowest part, the southern part, is uh, uh, near the frontier with Belgium. And so a part of that region is Catholic, whereas the rest of Zealand is mostly Protestant. And that has to do with the 80-year war where the Spanish fought the Protestant king. And uh, right at the the, the the point or the frontier of the confrontation or where they basically uh, stalled, you still see that division between uh, a Catholic population and a Protestant population up until today. So it's very interesting to go there, but it was such a long drive. Oh my goodness. It was two and a half hours, which maybe if you're living in a country where everything is big, I don't know, the United States, or you're from Texas, and you're like, well, what is two and a half hours? That's what we drive to go get our groceries. But here it is. It's massive. It felt like it, it just didn't stop. Um, and then when you have to drive like two and a half hours by yourself, you're already tired when you arrive. And I'm always taking my bike with me. so I've got this construction um, on the back of my car that carries the bike. And just recently, I broke it. <laughs> so... I was i 'm always a little bit afraid that the bike somehow will fall off because it 's still strapped to the car and it 's not really you know the car is not designed for that and so in order to make sure that it didn 't fall off while driving, I probably twisted the the knob of the the thing that the, the clamp that held holds it in place I, I I twisted it way too much and so it broke, which resulted in me not being able to remove my bike anymore. That was I discovered that last week, I think on Sunday, and so yesterday morning I was like, "I need I, this bike is necessary for the format of the TV show." So I went to the bike repair shop here. At, it's fortunately basically on the other side of the street, um, and they told me that it was broken and they had to order probably a, well, a new. New stuff or replacement uh, parts from, from Germany, so that might take a while. But they 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 me a, uh, like a replacement clamp for the time being, and so I had the bike also on the car, and when I arrived, it was already, I think it was almost one o'clock, which is insane because normally, <laughs> I I try to start filming early. So that I can return home in time. Uh, because I still usually, towards the end of the day, collapse. I just don't have that much energy anymore. Uh, but, but in this case I arrived at lunchtime, so first at lunch, and then we went filming. Which was actually quite great, so I, went to, I, um, I met a, a priest who's been appointed there about three years ago I think. He used to be an accountant. And then he received the the call to the priesthood. And now he was he's sent for him also to a, a pretty remote area. He's not from that area at all. Uh, and he's been working there for three years, building up stuff. And a very entrepreneurial guy. Uh, very motivating and encouraging to meet a fellow priest who has that same... Uh, or at least I, I recognize myself a little bit in his attitude of, you know... There's a lot to complain about in the world and in the church, but we can also change things. We can, we can make a difference. We can start new ideas. Very creative. And uh, he lives in a, in a city near the sea. It's actually, I did not know that, the third biggest harbor city of the Netherlands. At least a harbor is. The city itself is pretty small. But uh, they're building a canal right now. Or deepening an existing one to allow for ships to um, to to move in more inland. Um, that is just as big as the Panama Canal. <laughs> I was like, I had no idea that that was happening in my country. And so we went to film uh, in the harbor, which of course is uh, you know not the prettiest thing to see. It's especially because there were buildings, so everything was. Uh, well, basically, a big building pit with lots of noise and machines. Every, there was noise everywhere. Uh, so, I hope that the audio will turn out alright. And it was a. It start, the day started off very windy and stormy, and there was rain when I was driving. Uh, so, I was uh, preparing myself mentally for a very tough. Day because when it's, well you know when, it's, when the weather is bad everything kind of looks drab and gray and I didn't know what to expect. Fortunately, when when I arrived and started working, uh, the weather gradually got better and the sun started to shine and the wind got uh, a lot less. Speaking of wind, it's ooh there's a wind here. I'm now moving out of the city and. We've got... Here are some, you know, grassy fields with cows and... The wind gets very, very cold. Um, Speaking of which, the cows here are on my left. Chilling. Probably chilling because it's cold. (laughs) Near. They're all, you know, on the grass laying down. They're not standing up. Maybe they're still tired and haven't had their coffee yet. Um, Anyway, so... (laughs) Then... I started to notice, well, wait a minute. We started working here at 2 o'clock. At what time is the sun going to set? Because it was already... You could tell by the color of the of the light that we were at already approaching golden hour where, where the sun gets this yellow color and it's beautiful. But I also know that it doesn't last very long. So when I started to notice it, everything started to kind of turn... This golden color. I was getting panicked because we had planned to actually visit several parts of this of this region and also go to a church near the near the beach. So there, uh, the to the the western part where you actually see the North Sea that separates us from uh, from England, from the UK. And uh, but that would be like a half-hour drive, and I knew that. That we would probably arrive just around uh, around sunset, and of course you can get a couple of minutes of if you're lucky a beautiful sunset over the sea, but then it's dark and you can't do a thing. So I noticed that the, uh, on the northern part of the city there was this very small beach, and it didn't look very nice because um, it was uh, there were at several points there was some industrial well, stuff and. They created a really ugly children's playground, which for kids, probably good, but for me, it was like, I'm not going to film that. But with some trickery and very um, creative camera placement, I think I made it look as if we were really out in the open in the middle of nowhere with just the water in the sand. And I was so proud of being able to kind of conjure up an atmosphere that uh well it's the magic of uh of television you the viewer only sees what you point your camera at and you can take out everything that's ugly and the only thing i couldn't remove was the constant sound of the uh, of the the place where they were building on the uh, near the canal so every interview has this you know noise behind it so I'll have to figure out if we can do something in audio post-production to kind of muffle that or you know kind of hide the sound (laughs) it's it's always a bit of a gamble when I go out to film because I'm relying completely on the camera and the microphone that I have and I don't really have time while working to check especially uh, now that we were racing against the clock to film everything at daylight um, so it was really <laughs> strenuous to get everything done plus I didn't have much time to prepare for the for the interview so I didn't really know what the story would be thankfully of course I had a very good um, uh, interviewee so a very good guest who you know had no problems at all speaking in front of, in front of the camera so I think it's going to be more of a portrait of his life as a young parish priest there uh, surrounded by you know beautiful nature and uh, whoops bikes good lord that startled me you know nowadays these older people have electrical bikes so you don't hear them at all they're super silent in the past, every bike would be a bit creaky, and you'd you'd always hear something. And now, they all of a sudden they're behind you, just like German cars on the on the highway in in Germany, where you know you try to get past a a truck, and you look in the back mirror and you see nothing. The entire highway is empty, and you start to move to the left, and all of a sudden there's this huge Mercedes behind you and they're driving like 160 kilometers per hour or even faster and they're like what sorry I didn't see you coming (laughs) oh boy so uh, it it was a day of running around and very high uh, energy production work I I felt like this constant rush to get it right and to film as much as I could at the same time, I was very—I was also very worried. Look, this is probably not a smart thing to do when I'm still recovering from COVID. On several levels, first of all, of course, my own health right now. Of course, I feel that I'm getting better every week. And I'm already... I sleep much better. That is the biggest difference with a couple of weeks ago. Like, when I sleep... I feel like I'm really getting a good night's rest. And for weeks, my entire sleep rhythm was was disturbed and was compli- was messed up. And I would wake up several times during the night and very early in the morning. And then during the day, I was hazy and, and tired and had to go to bed all the time. That is changing. So now that I get good quality sleep, but not necessarily always a lot of sleep, but when I sleep... It's like I'm not waking up, and that's probably a very good thing. Um, so that is a change. Um, I also notice that uh s- slowly my heartbeat is getting back to its normal level, which was around I think forty beats per minute or something like that so i'm i'm since I was a runner and I'm I'm deliberately saying was a runner, because right now there is no running in my near future, Um, my heartbeat was actually... uh, I had a runner's heart. It was very strong, very kind of slow, uh, which is a good thing. (laughs) And now it was sometimes three times as high. But I noticed that when in rest, so for instance when I'm working behind a computer, it's now around... 75 or something like that. It's still double of what it should be. But at least it's not 120 <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. Um, there, there are times of the day that I can still tell that uh, there, there must be damage to my lungs or heart or whatever. Or at least the, the energy that was required to fight the virus took a lot of my reserves away notice that especially in the morning so this past Sunday um, I was uh, uh, asked to celebrate mass again uh, in, just one in, uh, in a na- neighboring town uh, and I always have to kind of take the car to drive there, it's about half an hour drive it's near Utrecht um, and already in the car I could tell that things were not okay and my heartbeat was through the roof I think it was about 120 and I was just sitting in a car driving and then during mass several times uh, I just had trouble standing up so I I shared that with the parishioners there I was like oh I'm sorry I'm still I I have a hard time right now (laughs) getting through and mentally that's a weird thing these kids are caressing a sheep <laughs> who seems to be super happy to get all that attention. <laughs> Funny. Anyway, uh, let's go to... Am I going to the left? No, I'll still make a little bit of a bigger uh, tour. But... Uh, so during mass, I was not okay. But mentally, not a problem. And it's so weird to to... To be able to function, just like normally, homily not a problem, and I, my voice is back, but there is a like part of the body is just not cooperating, and it's like, dude, <laughs> slow down, and uh, and th- that's been a, a bit of a struggle, especially because on the outside you don't you don't see that much, uh, so when I post uh, uh, like a photo on Instagram or a selfie. Uh, I get a lot of comments uh, along the lines of you're looking so much better and it's good to see that you're you're back to your old self and I'm thinking yes part of my part of this photo is definitely me the way I used to be but there is also a Father Roderick that is not okay yet (laughs) and that is still trying to figure out how to you know how to get back and but that you don't you don't notice it that much so I'm, I'm very happy that I have uh, a lot of friends around me that give me good advice and also uh, some of them have had their own experiences right now with the post-COVID uh, recovery uh, process and uh, I think what I've learned these past few days is that I'm probably still doing way too much and uh, I only notice it when when it's too late, when I'm already tired. Like just uh, like 10 minutes ago when I was walking too fast and talking too much. And then uh, all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is not this is not OK. I, I need to slow down. And it's hard to find that balance, especially when you when you plan ahead, which is something that I've been doing, I think, very well over the past weeks. The planning and uh, refining my own uh, my 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 work how would you say that the not the workload but the, the processes processes the um, oh what's the word for that? I don't know well, procedures that's another thing that I notice that sometimes. And I'm not sure if it's the lack of coffee or if it's COVID and brain damage, but uh, there are moments that I uh, get stuck in my own words. Um, Now, this is probably something that is just part of who I am. (laughs) But uh, I seem to get off off course or or (laughs) meander in what I'm saying a little bit more than I used to. Let's hope that clarity will also return. Um, but it's the, so the tricky thing is to find that balance and I've, I've been trying as much as I can to, uh, to continue the core tasks or the core duties and obligations that I have probably even in that respect I'm, I'm overcharging myself and I can't let go of commitments even though that would be wiser but I'm, I'm telling myself, well, hey, I'm smart. I can figure out a way to do this more efficiently. And I have made huge strides in getting better at what I do and doing it more efficiently. Uh, th- th- I'm still baffled that I can now uh, film uh, like a half-hour documentary in about half a day. And for the first time this week, I was able to edit the entire thing in exactly one day without going into the night so it shows that i um, I kind of also forced by the circumstances I'm trying to um, just modify my, my working procedures, my workflow is that the workflow and, uh, and that helps because of course the less hours I have to work on, uh, on a job, the more time I have to recover but it also requires me to plan ahead uh, make appointments like for instance this priest was only available yesterday and Wednesday I was still working all day long and I, and, I, and I had a bad day and so I was worried what should I do? Should I call this priest up and tell him hey I'm not coming because uh, I'm not feeling well and I need, probably need a day of rest and then I was like, well, but I can't because otherwise I don't know when, when he will be available next. Plus, I don't know what the weather is going to do. We're still in, in autumn, you know, so the weather can change. Even even compared to yesterday, today is much more volatile and colder, definitely colder. So who knows about next week? It could be even worse. And it's so much easier to work when the sun is shining and everything looks colorful and you've got blue skies. It makes for such a better End result, so I decided finally to not call him up and just wait and see the next day if i if I would would be reasonably well and I was quite all right, and I'm still surprised that yesterday evening when I finally was back that was around eight thirty I think in the evening, and then I still had to eat or cook and eat, so at ten o'clock it was still Making chicken soup <laughs> Insane However, despite that very long day Which was super high energy I felt tired, but okay I wasn't exhausted And this morning, I'm still a bit groggy Because I, I slept very well And it's still, you know well, It's not early in the morning, but it's still morning But nevertheless, I do feel quite alright And so the day wasn't as disastrous as I thought, but it's not a given. There are still days and times of the day that I crash and that just a few days ago I I was tired and and someone gave me the advice, well, why don't you just go lie lie down for a a couple of, I don't know, 20 minutes or so. So that's what I did. I woke up four hours later. (laughs) So... I was like, okay, I cannot predict my own body right now. I have no idea when I'm fit and when I'm not. And the, what I, what the trick is to actually completely let go of that uh, illusion of control. I I know that right now there's not much that I can do. So the only thing I can do is give myself a maximum amount of margin so that in case I don't feel well at one point I still have bu- A buffer uh, To compensate for that And But it also means Letting go of a lot of stuff That n- would normally occupy my mind And that I'd be working on uh, Which is Hard I've noticed And I actually already knew that for a long time How much of a how much I like to be in control. don't want to talk too negatively about it because I think it's also a quality to be on top of things and to really have a good grip on what I do. But sometimes... Um, and it's not the the quality that should suffer, but it's more the amount of work, the ambition that should be toned down. And it's not that ambition and ideas are bad, but I have to... Right now, prioritize my own recovery and just table these things. They won't, Good ideas never go away. If they're good, you'll remember them. You can always return to them. If they're not that good, then you'll forget about them. And that's not a problem either. So I give myself more time to think about things before I make them actionable. And I don't sweat it. I try not to sweat it because there are moments... And again, I don't know if it's the fatigue or if it's a side effect of COVID or if it's just me. I sometimes have these moments of anxiety where I feel this mild panic about the, the, the upcoming months and maybe it's also because I'm uh, working on, on the, the, the plan, the working plan for next year, writing down what we're going to do with Tridio, um, I've I've got some new information about my work uh for TV. So the first half year is still going to be like uh like this year, but then after summer things might change uh, in a more radical way and I'm not sure if the, the the program that I'm producing right now is still will still have airtime. <laughs> I can still make it, but if they don't air it, why should I? <clears throat> and so that is a shift a potential shift because i don't have any you know definitive information about it because it's still they're still working on on developing these ideas um but i should do the same i i'm also thinking uh about the priorities and what i want to do where my qualities are trying to hit that level of excellence where you know the, what i that what i do is, is not something <laughs> that i could uh uh outsource so you always want to be doing the things that are part of your kind of your unique abilities should i go to the left here night no character vin yes i'm just gonna go here <laughs> again it's like constant my days are filled with decisions like this do I still have energy? Am I still going to start this? Or do I have to have more patience? Um, so one, you know that one of the, my dreams is to take my production to, uh, first of all, higher level, quality-wise, uh, but also make it more international. Uh, instead of, of, of working for uh, a broadcasting company that will... Show it once or twice in this case, on TV, um, and then, after two years, completely takes it offline, so you cannot find it, you cannot rewatch it, whether to continue that kind of work or to focus more on um, keeping everything in my own hand in a certain way, uh, have this you know let it let trito be the distributor of my content so that we can distribute it worldwide and maybe find even multiple parties that would like to air my TV show and maybe also help uh, help producing it. So, <clears throat> once I started to hear these, these ideas that, no, maybe things will change after summertime next year, I'm already thinking ahead because right now I'm, I'm writing down the plan and we have to start making a financial plan as well for everything we're going to do next year. Now is the time to 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 uh, start dreaming up that future and uh, and then work my way backwards and setting uh, uh, you know time th- give it dates and make it more specific and also financially be financially feasible that is maybe why sometimes I have these moments of anxiety: can I pull this off? Can I do this? and then I start to doubt myself and sometimes certain you know, small things or uh, when, when I get reactions or someone tells me something or I hear something, uh, it triggers that very old anxiety that I had as a child that what I did wasn't good enough. And I've talked about this so many times. <laughs> but that is a very deep-rooted trauma, I think, childhood trauma that uh, every once in a while, completely irrationally, Pops up and takes over. The thing, what I notice is that I'm getting better at immediately suppressing it, or maybe not suppressing it, but telling my my the child in me that has that reaction uh, of fear and anxiety of not being appreciated, and not being good enough, failing my grades or whatever they scared me with uh, in in primary school. That, that is irrational. That I can. <laughs> that the, the next year will be better than this year. That basically I can do, I, I can do anything that I want uh, and be successful at it. Now that sounds very uh, um, bolsterous. That's a bolsterous claim, but I know that uh, the self-limiting thoughts that I've nurtured for decades that I, I know that, that you can turn that around and set yourself impossible goals and rethink and rephrase all those thoughts into very positive ones that will give you the energy and trigger your brain to come up with solutions to actually reach those goals. And so what I'm currently doing uh, next to balancing my physical strength and trying to... F- figure out when to give myself time to recover and when to go for it and plan ahead and create margin. The second type of balance is between these concerns that I have and worries and, well, sometimes not everything, of course, that is happening is going in the direction that I want them to go. But I don't always control a lot of these factors. I mean, if I could control everything, there wouldn't be COVID. I could just do whatever I want and travel the world and visit Rome. And But uh, there, there's, there are circumstances that I cannot change. But they're basically irrelevant because they're out of my reach anyway. And instead of um, losing my energy in uh, this, through this anxiety... And uh, these these self-limiting thoughts—you you see, everything's going down the drain, and this is never going to work. And what if—all these what-if scenarios that are racing through my mind sometimes—the uh, the the trick is to do um, to stop yourself. And sometimes you have to do it like literally. When I'm like when I have these negative thoughts whirling around like brown leaves in the wind. Um, I stand up and I tell myself, well, thank you for those moments of anxiety, but I'm not falling for it because I control my future. I control, uh, well, no, I don't control my future either. I control my thoughts and my words and my actions. So no no matter what the circumstances, I can choose to act in a positive way that will build up something That will make me stronger That will build up the world I can always do that No matter what the circumstances are When I'm like laying in bed With a headache And feeling miserable Because of COVID I can still choose to panic And to complain And have self-pity Or I can constantly tell me And this is what I've been doing For weeks now This too shall pass You'll get better This, you know there, there are so many ways in which you can rebuild your, uh, your strength. And if necessary, we will find some help. And, uh, you know, there, there, there is so much that I can do. And, of course, I would love to be able to, to work harder and, uh, and do more. But at the same time, there is no need for it right now. The, the, I, I, what I can do is rebuild my, my strength... Give myself time to recover, and in the meantime, start thinking about these the, the possibilities in the given situation, and uh, and and put your hopes on um, on what's to come, and have and and also uh, find confidence in the fact that up until this moment, we were. Things were going extremely well. And none of that was a gift. None of that just fell from the sky. I worked my behind off to make it happen. And I tried to build my skills, get better, and change uh, the course of my own life and my own uh, work for years. And it's constantly been... Uh, uh, going upwards, there is no with if you look back at that, then you can project that into the future to a certain extent, of course, but what i the most important thing that should give me confidence in the future is the fact that i 've been able to change my way of thinking instead of victimize myself or uh, feeling sorry about. The, the world not cooperating with me... Uh, I think what, my biggest... The biggest gift that I've received this year... Is this ability to... Rephrase my... My inner talk... Uh, and... Uh, uh, kind of break the cycle... Of these self-limiting thoughts... And instead... Turn that around... It's not always automatic... I'm still working on that, but that's okay I, and I still struggle with especially handling social interactions and other people and uh, so the, the, the same atti- the attitude that I have towards myself, like hey okay right now i'm I'm a, a panicking a bit, i'm worrying, but hey i'm going to stop that right now, and even if it's true, there are still so many things positive things that I can do to to, to move in a different direction and to do something that will make me happy and will change the world that attitude I think the next step for me the next thing I want to learn is to do that with other people as well and I struggle with that that is probably also part of my carefully built self-defense mechanism where uh, I, I was bullied a lot as a kid um, and Maybe even discriminated because I, I looked very uh, Asian when I was young. Uh, maybe still a little bit, but not as, not, it's not as pronounced as it was when I was a kid. Um, and I was always scared for these bullies. And what made me so insecure was that, you know, my, my friends, for instance, if they got in, in, into problems... Uh, with With bullies or kids that were older than them, they often could just ask a, an older brother to defend them, and I was always envious of that because I was the oldest brother <laughs> I was the oldest of the family, and so I could never really appeal to let 's say uh, ground troops that would come in and 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 defend me, and that made me and i i I felt I always felt very insecure as a kid. That um, there was basically no no nine one one or one one two or whatever the code is. I I, I would have to somehow survive. But I've so often wished that I had a an older brother or sister that would you know walk up to these bullies and just beat them into oblivion. And there is still a little bit these remnants of not being certain that people have your back. That is sometimes plaguing me. So uh, I've, I've noticed that in, in my interactions with other people I tend to avoid uh, destructive characters or negative people. I do that very deliberately on social media. I curate my news feeds. Anyone who goes over the line in feedback, or uh, or even in, uh, you know, filling my online world with negativity, I take them out. Uh, I, I remove them from my social interactions and I don't see them anymore. And that gives me a certain inner peace. Um, but in real life, of course, you can't do that. You still work with people that may sometimes trigger that same insecurity of, like, I feel like I'm being bullied or I'm mistreated or I'm not respected or loved. It's probably that. In the deepest form is that. I don't feel loved. Um, And it, it, I think, activates this mechanism of seeing those people as, you know, my opponent's. And, uh, and, and to steer away from them instead of engaging a conversation to make things better. Uh, and so I, I, I've, I've struggled with, and I still struggle with, feelings of, of negativity towards certain people in my life um, that I can't really walk away from, like you can do with certain so-called friends on social media. And it's probably also an exaggerated... Uh, like an allergic reaction based on old traumas, and so this positive attitude of, of breaking through that wall of negativity and rephrase it into something that is positive, I know that it's feasible to do that that is possible and probably for me also necessary to acquire that skill in certain social interactions with difficult so-called difficult people, or that people that I label to be difficult because I feel threatened by them or disrespected or whatever um, the finding the, the same trick that I learned towards my negativity, towards my inward negativity to, to also master that towards other people intellectually I already know that I should change my, my ways and I, uh, but it's still very hard because I have not really got much practice with it but of course every improvement starts with the acknowledgement that I have to change that and I, 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 there is room to learn and there is tremendous benefit to learn those skills uh, you know we've seen in the, the whole uh, political drama in the United States these past months um, how, how, how much of a difference character makes um, are, are you always blaming other people or the world, or whatever, for things that you don't like, or um, do you focus on on the fact that there is there is so much you can do, and there are so many more uh, people that you can help instead of focusing all your negative energy uh, on on the things you don't like. It's that same, you know, we're attracted, I think, by positivity it's one of the things that, that Cliff made me aware of uh, when I was this was before I started uh, filming uh, this, uh, this, 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 this second season of my TV show and I was worried that I couldn't, I couldn't pull it off and I wouldn't be able to find it. and I had to approach all these people and ask them for an interview and they would reject me and tell me that they were too busy and I had all these anxieties And Cliff said, you will see that if you are positive and optimistic, it will catch on and people will react to you. And then when that happened, when I actually did that, I would start calling up people uh, despite my uh, fear for telephone calls. Let's wait for these trucks to pass. I think they're trying to avoid a traffic jam or something like that. I've never seen these kind of trucks here. It's usually just trucks related to farmers' activities. These are uh, these big trucks to carry loads of cars. Anyway, uh, once I started to call up people and have this very positive mindset when approaching them, you know, I've got this great idea, I saw what you were doing and I think it should have, this should have more exposure and I'd love to if you can share what you're you know this amazing thing that you're doing I'd love to come over and film a day and don't worry I've you know I this will only take half a day and it, it just look at my previous programs and if you like that that's exactly what I'm going to do with your topic that kind of attitude completely often changed people like I remember this one person that I wanted to interview who was very reluctant at first uh, and I just you know had some email conversations, and that person was like well i'm I'm not sure, and I'd need to see all the questions beforehand, and then I want to have a say in the final edit and uh, there was a i was like oh, this is I'm not sure if this is going to work out and then I called her up, and I said, "Hey, I saw this and this, and uh <laughs> we had this conversation and she she started to become much more enthusiastic and it, there was, for me, a, a, an eye-opening moment where I felt that my own attitude towards them was infectious because we love positivity. We love enthusiasm. And there's only so much that you can convey through email. Sometimes it's just in the voice. Another example of that was uh, a pitch that we made to, uh, to a... Um, a uh, how would you call that? Like a nonprofit organization that finances uh, a project. In this case, it was an organization that uh, wants to invest in uh, catechesis and uh, educating children and uh, helping schools with their Catholic, uh, Catholic schools with their formation, etc. And I had this idea a year ago. Uh, or actually, it was around March when the corona crisis started like well, kids can 't come to church, and that 's still the case you know right here in the Netherlands, uh, Sunday Mass is limited to thirty people per church that 's nothing and who signs up for these masses? All the older people so we we 've lost contact with all these families and kids, and uh, one of the ideas that I had was, well, I can just use uh, Uh, what's the word? Like uh, toy animals? And I'll just film like a super low-budget Sesame Street-like Sunday thing for kids that they can watch and we'll just read the gospel or have uh, Father Bear read the gospel and then the the, the animals can have a conversation about that. Started to make a few pilot uh, clips and... You know, it was nothing special. But then I was like, okay. But this is really... I'm on to something. This can work. But we need to get it to a totally different level. This needs to literally be Muppet Show quality. In terms of technique, camera, even puppeteering. That's all available on the market. But if you want to hire the people that you need to create something that has the quality of Sesame Street or The Muppet Show. We're we're not we're in a different ball game. We're not talking just me taking an afternoon filming everything with my cell phone and then just slapping it together under high pressure because of, you know, you want kids to find it on Sunday morning. So it needed a plan, but it also needed financing. And uh, so there was this one uh, nonprofit organization that we approached and gave them a plan and also made a financial calculation asking them if they would like to help us out. We also approached another nonprofit. They rejected our plan, not because it was a bad plan, because, but because they were more focused on, the, on teenagers and uh, young people, like uh, students. So our project was a little bit too, you know geared too much geared towards younger children. Um, and the other organization was had a lot of questions, and they were taking a lot of time to decide whether they wanted to help us. And then we had this conference call, this Zoom I think it was Zoom or Microsoft Meetings or you no, know, one of those online platforms, where I got to defend or defend, I got to pitch this idea um, and also answer their questions. And, of course, uh, they had communicated their, you know, their questions and maybe also doubts about some, some aspects of the plan. Um, and, and we had that pitch call, and it was the same thing. Just being able to pitch it in person and being enthusiastic, and I love. I still love this project, but I also know, and I've learned through the years, that this is not something I'm going to do, you know, on a Saturday afternoon by myself. Uh, this, is, this is maybe the first, next to my TV work, the first uh, project that I want to approach from a professional way. Um, involving uh, quality people from, the, the, you know, the best quality that I can find, and approaching it very methodically, with a plan, with a, uh, you know, finding p- financial partners, setting up the distribution, getting everything to the highest level possible based on all these years of, of experience. But being able to pitch that and show them, and they could tell by my, I'm, I'm usually quite expressive when I'm on camera, um, they could tell that, that, that there was passion behind it, there was heart behind it. And there was a motivation that would make this work. And uh, there's a tractor here passing by. I think they're preparing the fields for winter. Because most of the the corn that was here uh, just a few weeks ago is all gone. And what's left is just these open fields... And of course, it's right in in time because uh, the the corn is used usually, I think, during the winter to feed the cows and and other animals. Um, so, that these experiences have taught me that the way you approach someone, and if it's positive, and if you're like in that case, I still had to convince the organization to come along and and uh, help us realize this but it worked after that i they were happy there was like this was such a positive conversation and i would like to be able to have such such interactions also with people that are kind of in my way (laughs) or that i for some reason have trouble working with and maybe even resent for things that they've said or done but I know... And, of course, you cannot turn around everyone. Maybe some people can, but I, I personally don't think that I can... Uh, I can I can make, you know, angels from bullies. <laughs> I've tried too many times. And I, I'm also not always certain that it's worth my time and effort. Sometimes with certain toxic people, you just have to reduce your exposure to them. And that's a deliberate decision. It's not a... Uh, uh, It's not trying to uh, to to fly away from um, how would I formulate that? It's not an escape. It's not escapism. Uh, but sometimes it's a, it's just a, a, a again trying to find the balance between the effort it would take to change someone or to win someone over, or just going about my business in another direction and. Let these people figure it out. I'm not here to change everyone. (laughs) Even Jesus could not do miracles when people were not open for them. Now, I'm not comparing myself to Jesus, but it's the principle that matters. If people really don't have any inclination to move towards you, um, then sometimes it's just not worth your time. Well, that's what is that? An ambulance let's hope it's nothing serious well, you, well actually when you hear the sirens it's usually something serious so hope the person inside will be okay um, the, uh, when, when you feel that they're like you're, you're bumping into a wall you can have that with toxic colleagues you can have that with uh, um, even an entire organization where, where you've, you've been hurt so many times um, sometimes you just have to decide to walk away from it. Even though maybe there there is a way forward and you could, with a lot of effort and time, kind of heal wounds and build bridges, but sometimes it's just not worth it. <laughs> sometimes you just got to move into... You always, again, have to move towards something instead of moving away from something. So only move away from toxic people when you have something to walk towards otherwise it's just trying to escape but you will find yourself alone but in this case um having a positive outlook and um forging your own path of course with with god and you have to pray about this and give it time get advice, that's probably one of the best ways in which God can reach you in case you're wondering how to bring God into the picture. God often talks to you through your friends, to people that that wish you well, that you can trust, and their advice, especially if you get the same advice from several people, that will give you a lot of clarity on what you should do and what God probably wants you to do. So, um, but if you if you choose for yourself with God that you want to move towards something, then at that point it's okay to walk away from other things. So, um, if I go back to the beginning of this whole conversation of trying to find balance in, between working and, and giving myself time to recover. The, what makes it easier for me to give myself time and to not uh, stress about things that I can't do is that I know that what I'm doing, I'm doing it well and it is my core mission and it's making me happy. I, for the first time in years, that's another gift I think I received this year, for the first time in years, I totally enjoy... I love doing this media work. Including the, the stuff that I hated beforehand. Like editing. Oh my gosh. You've heard me rant about editing and how much I disliked it. And how much... It, uh, I, I hated the stress and the, the pressures of uh, deadlines. And now that I have the process... Now that I've forged, reforged the process... And made it so much more efficient and improved my skills also because it's just you get better if you do it more. I I enjoy editing, I love it. It's like every time I finish an episode, I'm like, Wow, this I cannot believe that this just all of a sudden exists. Whereas like yesterday, these were just loose ends and fragments on on a videotape. And, and sometimes even or videotape on, <laughs> on an SD card. Um, and sometimes I, I, I look at my uh, footage. Like uh, two weeks ago. Was it two weeks? No, it was last week. Oh my gosh. Uh, I went to Audenboss. No, it wasn't op Ber- Bergenopso. And uh, there was this uh, feast of St. Hu- Hubertus who is a, uh used to be a bishop in Maastricht in the Netherlands and also in uh, uh in Belgium current Belgium and he's the patron saint of hunters and uh, uh the story of his conversion is that he was one day he was hunting and I think it was on good friday so he was supposed to be in church but instead he chose to, chose to go hunting. And then he sees this uh, deer. And he's about to shoot the deer when he notices that in its antlers it carries a crucifix. And he's, he's so shocked and baffled. It w- to him it was a reminder that it was Good Friday and he should be in church And instead of uh, killing animals. So the deer gets away and he converts ultimately ends up being a bishop so that's how he became the patron saint of hunters Um, but there is also a a legend uh, about him uh, meeting a very sick contagious man um, uh, who was uh, struck with rabies um, that you can get from dogs right? And so he offered the man a loaf of bread, and instantly the man was cured. Based on that legend, who knows? Maybe it happened. <laughs> uh, there is this tradition in my country that, uh, at least in the southern part, which was never, uh, you know, taken over by by the Protestant uh, reform, that that in in many towns they will bake special small uh, loaves of bread and they will either feed it to animals to protect them from rabies or people will also eat the bread themselves. So long story short, in that parish they decided on the feast of St. Hubertus to go distribute these these little pieces of bread to uh, the people that work in restaurants and bars and you know all these entrepreneurs are now without work and without clients. Just to show them you're not alone. You know, we, this is a small gesture. It's very symbolic. It's, but we're here for you. And I I was so enamored with that story. Is like, that is, that is, ew. if you ask yourself what you should do as a church right now, this is the kind of stuff. Just show kindness and and go to people instead of worrying about your own survival so anyway I went there to film and again it was far away it was in the same direction as yesterday but uh, not as not as far, <laughs> not as remote but still uh, about a two hour drive I arrived there, same thing it's already lunchtime, and the weather is terrible it's grey it's, gray, it's um, <laughs> threatening to, to rain and I also know that knew that the uh, whole distribution of the bread was going to be just two hours um, and, and people would be basically running it, like the, the priest would, and the deacons of the parish uh, and some volunteers were doing that so it would be very difficult to film everything because everybody would go to different uh, bars and restaurants and uh, I can't put a tracker on everyone so how was I going to film that I had no idea um, Even the blessing of these breads, because the bakers that make them always invite the pastor, the priest, to come and bless these uh, loaves of bread. That normally, of course, takes place early in the morning or even in the middle of the night before the sales start. So fortunately, we were able to uh, find one baker who was okay with uh, doing a blessing around lunchtime. And so that's what we... But even that was going... It, you know, it was in a store and in, uh, in that bakery. Like in many other bakeries, they, they have special light to make the bread look even more golden and warm. And so I noticed immediately watching what I was filming, everything was orange, yellow and orange. I was like, oh, my white balance is completely off, but I'm already filming. I can't change in the middle of this of this part because then all of a sudden the, 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 the white balance will be completely different and I can't match these images the second thing I only discovered when I got back home and that was that I somehow pressed a button on the camera which turned off the image stabilization these small Canon M50s that I used to film uh, don't have much of a uh, image stabilization So even your phone often has that, where the lens kind of floats a little bit. And so if you tremble, if your hands are a bit shaky, or I don't know, if you're moving, um, it's very hard to get photos that are not blurry. That's why uh, Apple and Samsung have have been, uh, Sony especially, a lot of these sensors come from Sony. They, They built these super tiny lenses that are still compensating for little tremors I had somehow turned that off on my camera lenses and so I got got home and I I saw parts of what I filmed Was like ah man this is so shaky and of course you can correct that afterwards digitally but then especially I was walking a lot and even running sometimes to just film everything in a span of two hours that I knew that if I would use software stabilization, everything would get warped and strange and weird, and you don't want that. So, the, but that, that's where my experience kicked in. And also, I think my positive mindset is like, you know what? Hey, it's shaky, but I'm sure that there will be stuff that is salvageable and that is usable. And if it's a little bit shaky, I'm not going for a 10 out of 10, I'm going for a seven out of ten, and that's it's good. The story is good enough, and there are also lots and lots of of nice shots that will compensate for the few shaky shots. So I, I tend to get very <laughs> uh, get this tunnel vision where I'm only focusing on on the few shots or edits that are not perfect, and I can get so up. Uh, <laughs> Like I can spend an hour on one clip or finding one uh, piece of music that I can see. And and now I was like, um, no, we got to stay efficient. I want to be in bed before midnight. So we're just going to make some hard decisions. If it's really unwatchable, we'll just throw it away. Nobody knows that I filmed it anyway. So it doesn't exist unless I integrate it. But I can just leave it out and I can tell the story without that part that I didn't film that well. And by, again, reframing that inside my mind. Like, don't get hung up over these few images that are shaky. Uh, Some of them are a little bit shaky, but that's okay. I think the viewer will really not notice that much. It doesn't get in the way of the story. So, let it be shaky. And then the other thing is uh, telling yourself, I'm going for... My goal is not to make every shot perfect but it is to to finish this before i eat before i before dinner time and having that focus at the end i was able to finish this before my before dinner time which is like i'm i'm sitting there uh, eating my dinner it's starting to rain great i'm still not home <laughs> Ay ay ay. Um I don't have an umbrella with me. We need to wrap this up anyway. But I w- I was cooking my dinner and eating and I was like, how is it possible? This is editing day and I'm done and it's already uploaded and I'm f- I made it and the footage was shaking. How did I pull that off? But it's it's just again the power of reframing that I did like this is not a problem it's a little hiccup I can work around it keep the pace work efficiently focus and make sure that you finish before dinner Uh, and and that that pulled me through and then the other edit to the next one subsequent one was even more of a breeze what I'm Ultimately, hoping to do, and I'm not sure if it's possible, is to. But that was my original plan. Uh, to to be able to make half an hour of t- TV that is actually watchable, <laughs> film it in the morning and edit it in the afternoon and be done with it one day for half an hour. I'm not there yet, but I've already reduced production time from often two days of filming. That was two years ago to one day of filming last year to only half a day of filming this year. And editing brought it back from five days two years ago to three, four days last year to three to two days, long, very long days, uh, first half of this year to one day. I'm so proud of that. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, and, and now that I know that I've been able to do that and it works every time, it's repeatable it's not just a, uh, by chance or because I got lucky it, this is just, I've mastered how to do this I've literally changed reality <laughs> to what I wanted to accomplish now that I, I've, I know that I can do that and then think of the, think of the return on investment because of course the remuneration for this work is based on what it would normally take. Four or five days of production, getting multiple people involved, and now I'm doing everything in two days, or a day and a half. Uh, that, that is... I mean, it, it doesn't change the money that comes in, but it definitely changes the money that goes out. And so, N- <laughs> this is just one experience that empowers me and I keep telling myself that look at how far you've come so when these moments of panic take over and I start to have feel this anxiety like I'm not sure what's going to happen I'm not in control look at what you've accomplished in the span of one year how much you've learned if God can help you with that in this year of crises in the middle of a corona crisis think of what can happen next year how how many opportunities there are how far you will come all right i just wanted to share that because that's how i feel and i, I even notice that when i'm sharing that with you i'm feeling that empowerment i'm feeling like that energy again i hope you can hear it in my voice because that's how i feel that is what i'm super grateful for hey thank you so much for your time sorry i went a bit long um Hopefully this uh, will inspire you. Uh, and uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for the privilege of your time. I mean that. this Being able to share this kind of thought uh, stuff going on and getting some of your feedback that it also can help you means so much. It is so... That's ultimately why I do this. It's not about just about efficiency, but it, this is about being able to change the world for the better and helping people. And that is, if there's anything that makes you happen, even in the middle of a corona year, it's being able to help others. Thanks if you help me make this possible by being a patron. And thank you so much for for your uh, overall support. Talk to you later. And it stopped raining. Good. Time for lunch. Ciao.